And welcome to the Bedpost Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Erin Pym. Here at the podcast, I like to invite guests and performers from my stage show and beyond into the studio to talk a little more in depthly about sex and sexuality with me. This week, I have a super special guest. Let me see if I can remember <laughs> all the things she does, because holy shit. She is a podcaster, a newbie podcaster. She's a radio host as well, a show producer, a storyteller, a sex educator, a... Did I miss anything? I don't know. I'm like a sex coach. I'm a sex coach sex matchmaker. Talker. Oh, matchmaker. That's a big That's one. That's a big one. Claire A.H. Hi. Hello. Hi and welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you. I've honestly been... I think we've kind of known... We've been on each other's radar yes. a little bit, like yes. pinging away. We're around. We've been around. <laughs> yes. And we just haven't quite connected until now. Yeah, it worked out perfectly. I, I saw a post and I was just like, oh, I'd, I'd like to be on that because I've been listening, but right. I haven't been thinking about actually sending an email, which yes. is what you're supposed to do. Okay. <laughs> I or mean, like a Facebook message. I mean, yeah, yeah. So what you responded to is uh, somebody canceled on me for today for my studio time. And I um, just sent out a thing and I was like, uh, help. I <laughs> I have done that so many times between like judges for the storytelling night and like guests on the radio show, guests on like podcasts I've done. Just it's I, I empathize tremendously, so I was like, you know, I have time. I need to be like put together and bubbly later on anyway. Yeah. So great. Might as well. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And then I was like, I got such a great response from people. Um, I was like, I should just do this <laughs> every time. Be like, oh no, it happened again. Because <laughs> usually it's like a lot. It can be a lot of work. It can. Be yeah. a lot of like massaging to convince somebody to and come. It's, it's and nice talk. to like ask a bunch of questions beforehand and do a bunch of research. But also, there's something if you get a good guest, off the cuff works well too. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And like I'm, I've been aware of all the stuff you're doing for a while. So like <laughs> I totally already had like the laundry list of things I wanted That's to talk cool. about in my head. We have too much stuff to talk about. I know. No, I don't, quite honestly, <laughs> I totally feel that way. So why don't we get started? Deal. How about it? Um, since you. Uh, at the beginning there, you were like, the most, very important thing, the most important thing when I said matchmaking, mm -hmm. you're a straight up matchmaker. I am. And I always say, when, when people ask me what I do, like if I'm at, you know, I, I was bowling this weekend and people were like, oh, so what do you do? And I say, well, I'm a matchmaker. And then I always qualify that by saying it's a really weird job. But the truth is, it's not a really weird job. It's just a very unexpected job. Yes. Like, I don't think people realize there are matchmakers around anymore no and they sort of imagine there are still matchmakers like this that exist where they imagine this very like relationship marriage children oriented matchmaker they yes. imagine somebody who is like fairly heteronormative they imagine which you ma'am are not, not so much not so much <laughs> so it's nice to be different and to be a matchmaker for people who engage in in online dating and app-based dating but just who want 
you know, feedback from another person who isn't like a friend or an ex or a family member. Yeah. And then also somebody who's able to not be, you know, either a laundry list of attributes on an on a website or, yeah. you know, a few photos and like, what do they even mean by that sentence on an app? Yes. So I can help with that and then I can match them with people in a different way. Yeah, so you're why matchmaking, you're not talking about like you run an online dating platform or no. something like that. <laughs> this is so much more in depth, right? It is. So you can tell tell me exactly what you do. So, let's say you wanted to to become a client. Great. So, you would start by sending a message and we do ask just for um a little bit of information to make sure that we have somebody to match you with. So, basic demographic stuff and a few questions that also hint at open-mindedness. Okay. So so, for example, um, are you open to dating all races? That is a really important question. And if uh, the answer is no, then it's kind of like, well, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Um, you failed. Yeah. And, and I mean, there are definitely... I have you failed lots, at being a decent human being. I have lots being. of opinions about this. And I, I'm really happy that I, sometimes I get to work with people who, you know, don't necessarily have as much experience um, dating outside of their own race or maybe have some unlearning to do. Yes. But people who are just straight up prejudiced. Yeah. Not so much. Um, so then once they're in, once we know, like, okay, you seem like you'd be interesting to work with and you, there's, theoretically, there are people in your demographics to match you with that would be, at least on that level, a good match. Great. Then we uh, do a little back and forth and we send a questionnaire. So, so that's with you and the person. Yes. And you haven't introduced them to anyone yet. There's no conversation no, between no. them and another so person nothing like yet. that. And it's myself and then there are also uh, three others, mm -hmm. uh, the head of the company, Sophie Papamarco, and then there's Leanne, our Toronto straight matchmaker, and then I do queer stuff in Toronto and then Hamilton all... The whole area. Everybody. And then we also have somebody in Ottawa who does everybody. Toronto, we split it up because there's just... A lot of people. <laughs> and did we even say the name of your company? Yet? Oh, it's Friend of a Friend Matchmaking. <laughs> there we I go. should do that. I should do I that. Like, yet. I called don't think Friend we of said a Friend Matchmaking. Friend of a Friend. Love so, yeah, it. anyways, uh, we do this questionnaire, and it's just, it's so that I don't have to ask, like, are you a vegetarian or a vegan when we meet in person? Like, I don't need to spend time asking, you know, Tell me about your cat allergies. Are you a dog person? Yeah, exactly. So I can get away from that, and then we meet up. And it's usually about an hour to an hour and a half. <laughs> and it's lovely. We tend to do it at a cafe. And we talk about their dating history, maybe some patterns that they've established, things that they want to address, Change. things that they might feel have held them back. And then also we talk about, you know, what they want. And then sometimes what they want, we then have a discussion about is that really what you want? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes what they want is like a laundry list of really normatively attractive things or they want somebody who's... Yes. Sometimes they want somebody who is like, you know, very highly educated. But what they mean is they want somebody who is intellectually curious. They want somebody who... Or they want somebody with a great job, which... It's, it's all these things that are sort of... They, they think of as shorthand for being intellectually matched or matched lifestyle-wise, but maybe they're... Other shutting more off meaningful ways yeah. to find that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're shutting off uh yes. avenues by putting that thing yeah, that they think means this. Exactly. But could mean a variety of things to a lot yeah. of people reading that on and a dating website. And sometimes also we'll talk about things like height. Um often I talk about uh masculinity especially with gay identified men and and size and we'll talk about how much of that is inborn desire? How much of that is societal influence? Script, the script. Yeah. And then are there, 
you know, what does masculinity mean? And when you say when you say that you want somebody who's masculine and you can't really qualify it and you can't really explain it in past partners, is some of it maybe internalized homophobia or mm. internalized misogyny? Mm-hmm. When we talk about people wanting a partner who is either taller than them or shorter than them, depending on kind of the gender dynamic they want, even like with butch and femme dynamics, that happens mm-hmm. a lot. I kind of get to have the discussion of like, well, is it possible that this has to do more with like, if people see you with a partner who is not as normative in their gender expression or, you know, exhibiting the traits we associate with like masculinity or femininity, that then your masculinity or femininity will be called into question? Wow. Very interesting. So it's heavy. I mean, it comes... Deep stuff. Yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's great. Deep. And I, not that I talk about this excessively with all my clients, but like mm-hmm. my partner is uh, short cis dude and Mm -hmm. and i am a woman of size and there's a lot of stuff that i had to undo over the years to be okay being like the bigger person in a relationship as a femme identified person and but i did it the same script that we're told about femininity yeah exactly and it took some time and i think maybe like 10 years ago that would have been a harder sell but I'm really happy and we're we've been together for a long time and it's wonderful so congratulations yeah not that I want to say like just be like me and you'll be happy because that's ridiculous yes but um but I love how you value in that yeah I love how you're challenging and kind of breaking down Mm. all of these uh ideas we have about like type and stuff like that right and I mean that's not to say that's all we do we also like talk about celebrity crushes and we talk about you know sexual desire and especially with my queer clients I talk a lot about is pride a party is it a protest is Mm. it a pain in the ass (laughs) we talk about coming out we talk about the the values they have associated with their partners and maybe their level of outness with family, with friends, with work. And it's interesting because I think a lot of times, even in in like fairly queer-focused uh, apps or dating sites, mm-hmm. we don't we don't ask ourselves those questions, and that's compatibility as well. Yeah. Not that two political people need to be together, but there is a level of, you know, somebody who's really against, uh, or not against, but really outside of the queer community and would not want to date somebody else who was really into the queer community I think it's valuable mostly to ask them to ask questions of themselves of why that is the way it is yeah and then maybe get them a little more open-minded on either end oh I love that you are like it's I, I feel like this is like not only about finding a partner mm-hmm. it's about like like this is very self-reflective about like think about your life <laughs> and your priorities so, and your ideals yeah and, here's the twist yes uh this is very like hair club for men i'm not just the president <laughs> i'm the founder yeah, yeah. Or i'm like I'm, I'm, a a, I'm a client yeah right um so before <laughs> i was involved as a matchmaker i was a client wow and i actually never met anybody yeah. because i did like the little initial questionnaire i did the long Longer questionnaire. I did the meetup, and I cried so hard. Oh, really? <laughs> like snot, a little snot. Like ugly cry. Full on. Yes. It was great. And I do have clients who do that for a variety of reasons, and I totally understand it. But for me, the reason inside was I am not ready to be a person to date. Like I because I need to. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually I did some therapy. Mm-hmm. I I did some self reflection, and then the next serious relationship I had was with my now husband. So. Wow. Yeah. Oh so wow. It. 
I, I appreciate this sort of reflection and getting people to ask themselves questions and not just going, okay, you, you want someone masculine. Check, okay, check, check. you want someone tall. Okay, I'm yeah. not going to question these things. Because, I mean, in a sense, is there ever any reason to police desire? Uh, it's You could have a very long conversation about that. Right. But it's not about policing desire. It's about kind of like doing a little light to moderate questioning yeah and seeing if those desires hold up to that yes and if we can just open it up a little bit more because that's going to open up um the amount of people that you can potentially match with it is and sometimes you'll meet somebody and you'll think oh you know they would match with this person you know they both have cat allergies they both want to retire out to like (laughs) northern ontario they both want kids this person has a kid this one person wants to date somebody who already has a kid they both like woodworking in this particular like (laughs) mid-century style wow (laughs) and and this person is like four inches too short yeah except for the height ridiculous restriction yeah and sometimes it's like i mean there's i sit around and think like okay well how many of these things matter obviously if somebody is like 20 years out of another person's top age then that is that's not what you're talking about but if we're talking about a couple of inches or we're talking about yeah what's another restriction you said mentioned race before yeah that comes up periodically it doesn't come up as much and often it comes from a place of just they haven't really investigated it before and so we talk about it together and then they're like oh okay yeah and i mean as to how how often that works out i don't know right but what is work out they're more yeah, how do you define a successful relationship yeah I mean, and a lot of people will say like how can't. many relationships do you have that have been like successful and i'm like okay well okay well <laughs> this is the relationship escalator model which yeah. is uh i know i know heather elizabeth was in here a few weeks yes. ago talking about that among other things yeah and just that idea that like we're all going to marriage you know, and kids. move in get engaged get married have babies and for a lot of people especially like i have people all across age ranges all across identities identities, a lot of poly folks who maybe don't necessarily want that as well as just a lot of people who maybe don't don't necessarily want that regardless of whether they're monogamous or not um yeah it's harder to explain that have i have i you know introduced people who have had wonderful experiences together and had relationships yeah sure. yeah definitely yeah that's amazing oh wow and it's it's also just nice to be able to talk to poly people and kinky people and sex positive folks and i can't necessarily match like deep into kinks like if it's like I'm a dom, I want a sub, but I'm really into like sensual play, and I don't want it to be twenty four seven, and or it's somebody who's like I want it to be twenty four seven, and I like I like thuddy, not stingy. I'm like okay, so okay, I hear this all is... these things. <laughs> I hear you, and I'm so, I'm always so happy to talk about it, but it is it's challenging beyond a certain point. Right? To... Do you go so do you go that deep into it? Oh like, yeah, like if somebody like wants kinks? to tell me about what they like, I'll talk I'll talk about it. If they want to date somebody who identifies as kinky, that I can do, yeah. or sexually open, or sometimes people will give me words that I'll be able to identify, like, related, Yeah. but if they're looking for, like, a service bottom who is into boot blacking, who, like, you know, is okay with this, this, and this, but really doesn't want to do this, I might, I tend to say, and it's another thing with um uh, people who want to have kids, but maybe one is more open to adopting one would like to carry I had somebody ask about in vitro fertilization and I'm kind of like 
I can match along the axis of like wants kids, doesn't want kids. I can yeah. definitely think about stuff like adoption if that's a preference for you. But going very specifically into it is challenging. It might get, yeah, I imagine yeah. it might get in the way of yeah. making a connection if you go too detailed just right before they've even met the yeah. person. And that it, it would know? be very similar to like looking for somebody's exact aesthetic type right down to like yeah, yes. the length of their hair and the type of earrings they wear. Exactly. Like, yeah. That, you know, you can first talk about first. that together. Yeah, first things first. And even Let's like, yeah. Go like, with some of the broader mm-hmm. type of uh, compatibility. Holly Styles is another one. So, you know, if you have somebody who maybe is looking for a more like primary, secondary focused relationship and another person who's not quite a relationship anarchist, but more on that end. Yeah. I can say like, well, you're both poly. You're both really open minded. You're both great communicators. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you right, can discuss Yeah. This. Right there. I think you yeah. might, if you make a connection, you feel, you know, a spark or mm-hmm. whatever it happens to be. I'm sure you can negotiate. You, yeah. And if you met something. someone at a kink munch or a poly you know, get together or whatever, you wouldn't necessarily be wearing a, you know, a hello, my name is this and I yeah. am into exactly this type of yeah. non-monogamy and like, here are my beliefs. It would be a yeah. really lo- big sticker. Yeah. So. Unless you, yeah, you go to L'Amour Propre yeah. and get all, all of those Yeah, uh, but, like you would not tags, have any shirt left. But you're not, yeah, you're not going to have more 50 <laughs> of those. And I don't think anybody's going to be looking and, and 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 like they're reading down and they're like yes 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 no yeah okay. how long can they be I got reading to 27 and i'm like yeah <laughs> i don't think i believe in that before it gets awkward yeah. how long also, can you stand yes. there and <laughs> before and being like hi and i mean and it's it goes back to the larger theme of we are more than these little the demographics sum. we are more than our favorite foods and our favorite tv mm-hmm. shows and yeah. We're more than the, you know, you must be this tall to ride thing that they do on OkCupid where you can straight up, if you have A-list, just filter out people under six feet. Yeah. There are not a lot of people above six feet. Yes. Yeah, so I really tell aren't. you, that's going to yeah. really narrow your chances yeah. of meeting someone great. Yeah, and maybe there's really great people. Maybe there's really great short feet. people out there, exactly. okay? Fuck short guys, everybody. Just do yeah. it. Yeah. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, let's move on, shall we? Um, let's. To what's... I feel like I want to save dating and disability to the yeah. second half because yeah. I feel like we it's could spend, mm-hmm. I, w- I don't want to skimp on it. So how about we talk about, would you like to talk about storytelling, your storytelling yeah. stuff? So we've actually, so it's called Tell Me Something Good and it's a live almost monthly storytelling event that's yeah. been going on for over four years now. Yeah. Myself and Samantha Fraser, who is a, she's done sex blogging, she's a sex and relationship coach, uh, she does... Another uh, she person wrote a book <laughs> about not I'm like you wrote the book not the book but at least a book on yeah. non-monogamy so oh. whenever I'm razzing her about her non-monogamy experiences I can be like you, you wrote, wrote a the book bu- you wrote the book on it yeah <laughs> it has not- work pages god <laughs> uh. <laughs> so she's wonderful and she does all sorts of things she also runs out of the playground conference which is great yes just happened at the end of February yeah. and it's um a sexuality and kind of its intersection event uh three days uh like which you spoke uh, at you did a couple uh lectures right six (laughs) yeah so it's really fun but anyways we started this just on a Mm -hmm. lark because i had recently been to new york and saw dixie della tour's uh body storytelling oh body and i was like it'd be so cool to do something like this in toronto so i did a little check-in and i also found that okay this is like this happens in a lot of places under a lot of different names, so it's not yeah. an original idea that I would be to have a storytelling show. No. Yes, it's yeah. like a sex-oriented storytelling show. There yeah. are less, but there's still a fair amount. Yeah. And um, 
this was like late January mm-hmm. and by early February we had booked it. We did the first show at the Beaver, and then we were at uh, it was a little too small, so we were at the Gladstone Hotel mm-hmm. for a long time. Now you're at Glad Day. We're at Glad Day. Yeah, we kind of had a shift. Um, they they ha- they took over their own events and realized, oh, we can book, we can just do our own stuff. We don't need other people it to do it. It can all be self produced. Yeah, yeah, and that made sense. So you got evicted. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, but at the same time, Glad Day Bookshop, which previously was on Young Street up on the third floor, yeah. um, moved That's into... That's a little cafe. It's a cafe. Lunch spot. Yeah, it's like a bar, club, club at the night. club, yeah. like, also like reading venue. They do Event music. Space, yeah. they, Glad Day does a, a RuPaul's Drag Race thing yep. every week, so it's... It's great. Yeah. Um, Drag queens while you're eating brunch. Yeah. And it was just, it was, a, it was a very appropriate space to do very storytelling. So. And we love it there. So we've been there now for, I guess, like, oh, God, two years? Nice. Coming Congratulations up, like, year again. Years. Yeah. So we've been doing it all in all for over four years. I feel like I could just yeah. congratulate you on all your things that Thank you do. Thank you. I'll <laughs> take Anything them. you mentioned, I'll just say congratulations. <laughs> all right. Um, what do you think the value of uh, sexy storytelling, sex and sex-related storytelling is? Well, actually, we had um, the opening... It sounds really fun to say the opening, the opening plenary. The big opening. Uh, yeah, so we had a big opening <laughs> plenary at Playground this year, and it was a bunch of people who were all involved in kind of different facets of storytelling. So uh, Kate Sloan was on it, yep. uh, talking uh, about the Dildorks. Yep. A friend of mine, Dane Stewart from Montreal, was in talking about his work doing kind of community-oriented uh, plays about sexuality with... Uh, I do not know, remember the name, but like the vagina monologues or mm-hmm. the Laramie Project where they take Great. real quotations and put it in. And we just kept talking about the fact that there isn't enough discussion about sexuality. Yes. And when it's discussed, it's often discussed by professionals. And clinical. Yes. Or of. it's or just people who are like the sexperts. And you're not, I mean, also I'm not a big fan of that word, but you know... From a, not, from a place yes. of... And they're not the experts. But the truth is, uh, like the, the storytelling we do, we just take names and put them in a hat. And so it's not curated. It's not people oh, who've been told in advance to come in and bring a story. We have general themes. We're pretty loosey-goosey on them. Um, uh, butt stuff is the one we've done four years in a row. And it's always a, always a pleasure. There are lots of stories to tell yeah, about people, butts. People, the, like, the only thing that people ask for every year is uh, butt more stuff. butt stuff. More so, butts, please. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Uh, but yeah, we, we, we'd like giving that opportunity to people who maybe haven't talked about this with their friends or they've talked about it with their friends but they've never gone up and talked about it in front of people. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've never done storytelling before or maybe they are storytellers or comedians or writers but they've never talked about sex before. Mm-hmm. So just giving that space and so often we have people who say, oh, I didn't think my name would be picked and and I, I didn't really prepare anything and then they'll be like, let's go. And, <laughs> and then they and get on stage. And tell this phenomenal and like, story and it's hilarious. And it's like they're possessed yeah, by the storytelling. It is. Is. And they're Demon. funny or they're they're touching. Yeah. Um, as much as there's a lot of kind of like raunchy, funny, sure. like 17 magazine, but like grown up, <laughs> there's also a lot of things where they talk about feeling the permission to do something for the first time, exploring their sexuality, exploring their kink identity, yeah. exploring their gender identity, exploring their bodies. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, sometimes they're really hot. Like, sometimes they're very sexy. Yeah. But then other times you're like, oh, God. You're like, I'm crying right now. Yeah, I've, I've <laughs> cried. Like, I've laughed. I've cried. I've cringed. Yeah. Um, and it's wonderful. So, what do you yeah. think uh, the value is of, like, hearing? Like, I, I get I get being on stage and mm-hmm. talking about all that stuff, how that can be an amazing experience for the storyteller. What do you yeah. think about the audience 
members hearing these stories? Well, there are lots of people who come and never share stories, but come back uh, month after month. And it's, I think to a certain extent, there's that feeling of recognition. So seeing Mm -hmm. somebody on stage who's maybe talking about something that is relevant to you, Mm -hmm. or maybe they're talking about a larger theme that feels applicable to your life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kate Kenfield, who's like a sex educator, uh, does a bunch of work on... Tea, tea and Empathy is one of her projects, and yep. she uh, she came up with uh, the concept of being a beacon of permission. So mm-hmm. not necessarily doing all that much, except just letting somebody know you can do this. You're allowed to explore your sexuality. Yeah. You're allowed to you're allowed to feel good about your body, even if it's not normative. You're allowed to, you know, engage with kink, and that doesn't make you a bad person. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's nice to just see we have lots of different people telling lot like different stories every single time, and even if all of them aren't relevant to you. One of them might have like a kernel of truth yeah, that you can apply to your life. Exactly. Totally, yeah. totally. That's amazing. It's so well, great. <laughs> it's so great. And we'll get you a chance to uh, plug all your stuff at the end. But for now, what I'm going to do is plug some, is plug. Oh, oh I recognize this friend. <laughs> My two sponsors for this episode. First of all, we got this lovely little rosebud butt plug. I mean, very appropriate. I mean, come on. Um, by Love Crafters. Love Crafters is an independent silicone artist here in Toronto. Her name is Shay. Hey, girl. Um, first of all, Shay wants you to go to the Etsy shop to see all of her lovely. Um, she has unicorn horn dildos. She has um, tentacle strap-on compatible dildos. She has uh, dragon egg Benoit balls. Like, this shit is crazy, okay? okay? It is geeky. It is kinky. It is fun, playful, non-intimidating. And that's what Shay and Lovecrafters Toys is all about. So go to the Etsy shop first. And she also uh, wants you to go to comeasyouare.com because she has a small selection of her toys there as well. And speaking of ComeAsYouAre.com, if you don't know things about ComeAsYouAre.com, you're missing out. This is the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. Um, They are online at ComeAsYouAre.com. They're feminists. They're anti-capitalists. They have amazing products that they're 100% backing behind because they're more into giving knowledge and giving great products and being facilitators for better sex lives and better connections with people, including with yourself and your own sexuality over just like selling you shit. So that said, uh, if you go to comeasyouare.com and you use the coupon code BEDPOST, that's B-E-D-P-O-S-T, you can get 15% off your purchase. And, you know, maybe you'll see one of these little babies up there and you want to buy it for mm-hmm. 15% off. Go right ahead. Um, and also, if you're in Canada and you make a purchase over $50, you're going to get free shipping. So come on. No brainer. <laughs> go to comeasyouare.com and check out Lovecrafters uh, Etsy shop as well. So we're back with Claire A.H., Hello, hello, again. hello, hello. Um, okay, the first time I came across you was on Andrew Gerza's podcast, yes. which at the time was deliciously disabled, but now it is Disability After Dark. That's right. Um, yep. So that's the first time I heard your story, your personal story with disability. Mm-hmm. Do you want to kind of I'll go through you, that? I'll yeah, give, give us you the, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I worked uh, previously uh, as a sex educator. I worked. Um, in kind of administration in the adult industry. So, and I, I wrote stuff about sex and I started the storytelling night beforehand. So I was, and I was doing Sex City Radio beforehand and I was doing a different podcast beforehand. So I was very involved in sexuality. Yeah. And um, 
I was also a burlesque dancer. So, yes, and I know that's something you know a lot about. So I have kind of taken a hiatus Mm -hmm. because I was very physically active, and I don't exactly know what happened. No one's able to tell exactly what happened, Mm -hmm. but um, I had two events that happened. The first one, which was about 10 days before the major event, where I just felt really, really dizzy. My partner had finished making dinner. He was doing the dishes because he's a saint. (laughs) And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go to the bedroom. And we have a lovely, it's not like, it's not like a long, like mansion hallway, but it's a substantial hallway. Mm -hmm. And I made it down half the hallway. And then he found me sitting in like the guest room office. And he was kind of like, hi, why are you in here? If nothing good is in here, why are you here? And I was just sitting there and I was like, I don't know, I just feel really, really dizzy. And I I justified it by like, oh, this is a really busy week mm-hmm. and I haven't been eating or sleeping or whatever. I've been burning the candle at both ends. And I kind of ignored it. He he was he did check in and say, like, do you want to go to the hospital? He gave me a nice little cool compress, but we hung out and it passed. Mm-hmm. But during that whole week, I had um, periods where I sort of just didn't make memories, which is wow. sketchy, but it was the busiest week of my life. And it was I was uh, that week. And then like the in the following couple of weeks, I had four burlesque acts, completely different acts, Mm -hmm. uh, two of which I was premiering. So I was like, and one of which was choreographed with a number of other people. So I was always rehearsing. When I wasn't rehearsing, I was working. And um, I did a couple podcasts that week. And I also did some of my own podcasts. And yeah, just and and then putting sequins on everything all the time. So I didn't pay attention to that. And actually, the night before the stroke, I was with Andrew Gerza at the uh, Best Sex Writing um, opening, and I was doing an act. And as you know, in burlesque, the way you know it went well is because the clothing came off. And at the end, you look down and you're like, well, maybe I wasn't the most poised. Maybe it didn't go exactly as I'd like, but it sure seems like the clothing came off. Yeah, I did the thing. And so I didn't make a memory of my time on stage. But I... Got, was off stage with my stuff and I was like I guess that well, happened. It happened and then I was uh heading home with Andrew at about midnight and we were talking about sex and disability and I was like I'd love to like signal boost and talk to you about stuff and like have you on the show and do this and do that but it I just know it like it isn't really my place to talk about so I really I feel limited in that respect and mm-hmm. I want to kind of take the lead from you mm-hmm. Give you a platform. Yeah. 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 And I still believe in that. But at six o'clock in the morning, Mm -hmm. so six hours later, Mm -hmm. I had the second and third of of, uh, the three strokes that I would apparently have. So that was the second event. And I my partner left super early for work because he had to fly out of the city. And um, I went to the washroom and on the way back down that long hallway again it became like a total wacky shack and just everything was it was the dizziness from before but Mm -hmm. significantly worse and Mm -hmm. the way I explain it is like you know those little toys where there's a little silver ball and you try to put it in the divot Mm -hmm. there was no divot anymore so it was just me free falling like no there was no way that was up and I did the bad thing where I actually lay down in bed and I was like maybe this will pass maybe this is like a weird inner ear thing Mm -hmm. or like low blood sugar I don't know 
And luckily, I then got up and I did the fast test, which is um, looking for facial asymmetry, lifting your arms to see that they can both be lifted, and talking to hear if your speech is slurred. So, did how did you know to do those things? Because um, because of a them scary uh, the scary violin music commercial that you may remember. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So public health message works except so um in like the year after i had my strokes they added be so be fast which is balance and eyesight okay so my balance was compromised but i was able to do all the other things fine so i was like well it's not a stroke oh but so I, they weren't so valuable <laughs> they weren't those so commercials valuable. um and so then oh, i managed to i had broken my cell phone Mm-hmm. So I managed to crawl all the way up to my desktop computer, kind of like <sighs> staggering and holding myself up against things, and get on Google Voice, call my parents, who are not expecting me to call at 6 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't know what was happening at the time, mm-hmm. but they were able to meet up with my partner because we had recently moved in together. They didn't have a key. And get in to see me having the third stroke, which was like the... This is the one where I would not pass the fast test. Like total uh, loss of stre- loss of strength on my right side, total loss of sensation on my left side, uh, drooping eye, slurred speech, uh, vomiting profusely. That was a fun one, <sighs> and just like not even able to keep my head up. So oh. they kind of came in for that one. I don't know if they came in right before or like during, but it was not good. They caught most of it. Yeah, <sighs> and it was not the best look. I gotta say, <laughs> and they were like, "Okay, it's ambulance time." Yes, and definitely got me to the hospital and I got like the full workup they were able to identify that it was a little tear in my vertebral artery which is sometimes people have like there's certain types of Ehlers-Danlos that can be um that can be more likely to get this or if you have like certain connective tissue or vascular disorders but a lot of people okay. are just profoundly unlucky okay and sometimes it's like if you've had a more serious tear like be careful when you do a choking scene. Um, uh, Could that be from being active in some way? Yeah, so like they think bur- it was like burlesque? it was it was stretching, just like or like maybe wow. doing some hairography or something. Yeah, so some, just a little be careful flip. with your hair flips. And I was always so careful, which is why it was extra frustrating. But oh, um, but yeah, it was really difficult. I lost all the strength. I uh, lost all the sensation. Um, I used my first degree was in opera. I lost one of my vocal cords, so that doesn't work anymore. So not so much with the singing. Um, yeah, just just a ton of like balance oriented stuff. I couldn't stand. I couldn't use uh, my right hand or anything on the right side of my body. I couldn't even lift my head up. So spent about ten days in the hospital. Then I did like a month and a half of rehab mm-hmm. and inpatient, and then an additional like what like six plus months out of rehab mm-hmm. in the rehab setting. It was really hard, and it was really it was really challenging. And through it all, um, nobody ever talked to me about sex, even though they mm-hmm. knew what I did. And I just didn't feel comfortable enough to bring it up. I also like I was I'm a very open person, but mm-hmm. I was not myself. I was abs. I was just fighting for my life at first, and then I was kind of living in the hospital, which is not the most fun. Doesn't mm. make you feel the vim and vigor you once had. Yeah. And or so, sexy or wanting no. to, yeah. And, and I just felt like if I alienate my occupational therapist, she's the one I have. If I make it weird for, you know, the the administration here, they're going to potentially, like, I, I mean, worst case scenario, treat me poorly or or make it more challenging for me. But at the very least, like, be more on edge. I also yeah. didn't get any therapy despite asking relentlessly because mm. they just identified I wasn't like a serious risk to to like their 
like I was I was on a suicide risk and they were okay. that's kind of their bottom line okay and aside from that so I got to see a spiritual counselor the last weekend who was just kind of like yeah I don't know if I can really help you this is sad yeah <laughs> and um, <laughs> so it was like really challenging yeah a lot of things that in at a time where you didn't need things to be more challenging yeah yeah so that's why you didn't kind of well, yeah, go, I didn't want to rock go the after, boat because the, the boat was already yeah, yeah. real good. So you need to stay on the boat at this exactly. point. You're just like struggling to stay on. So yes. when did you start coming to terms with how this was in- going to impact your sex life? Well, I actually, um, my first like goal in rehabilitation, which I set up myself because their, their goals were like, you need to walk. You need to, there's a lot of occupational therapy stuff where you dig your hands into sand and like move cups. So okay. there's a lot of that. Those are their goals, which I get, you know. That's what they are mandated to do. I wanted to go uh, tell my story at Tell Me Something Good. Great. And it was hard because at that point I didn't know where I would be. But as it turns out, I just don't have sensation on one side of my body. Mm -hmm. Still really dizzy. Still have some eyesight issues. Still have the vocal cord issue. Mm. Um, Yeah, there are are lots of things that remain difficult. But Mm. in terms of sex and sexuality, it's that and then just like major fatigue, which is... It just makes it feel harder to feel sexy and also like working on your sex life is not the biggest priority Mm because you want to take a nap. Because you just need to sleep. Yeah. Uh, So that was good. And I I talked about it and I did get a chance to um, to to be with my partner, now husband, um, once before that. So I kind of knew that it would be kind of okay, but not the same. it was frustrating because I was somebody who previously could have, whether you want to call it G-spot, internal, internal, clitoral, whatever, orgasms from the inside. Mm-hmm. And now I cannot. Mm-hmm. And I wish that I would have, like, done some fMRI study. I wish some, like, young go-getter PhD would have found me because it would have been really interesting to look at there's actually something The data on that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was something that was in the back of my mind and then I did this talk and then um Natalie Rose who uh she and her husband Tim Rose used to do um the Rose Center for Love Sex and Disability it kind of disbanded a few years ago now but she's doing her uh her PhD in occupational therapy focused on relationships and and uh sexuality with disability and so we were friends. She came and brought me the ultimate guide to sex and disability, which is um, was on Audible, which was useful to me yes, at the time. Exactly, couldn't read, and uh, we just kind of talked about my experience in as a sex like a sex positive person in an occupational therapy setting. Mm-hmm. And we kept talking about it, and then we recorded ourselves talking about it, and then we wrote some stuff, and we're actually going to be in the American Journal of Occupational Therapy. Wow. It's awkward because it's like it's a full journal piece, and it's academic, but it is just a case study on my sex life. Wow. So it's it's interesting, and that's coming out in uh, May, the May-June issue. Wow. So Amazing. Since then, I've been able to give a lot of talks at universities mm-hmm. with students uh, studying like rehab in their first year of undergrad or their last year of undergrad what kind of things do you find yourself talking about um so i'm the person for like uh occupational therapy at some universities and uh physio and even sometimes speech language pathology they do like a sex day and i come in and talk on their sex day yeah and i I get to be the person who's like i'm young it can happen to you and that's kind of what it is is it can happen to you um 
but I also uh, just talk more generally about the experience of being in rehabilitation. And I also, my own interest, I went back to school uh, to study psychology, is really around uh, relationships and to a certain extent sexuality is involved with this, but romantic relationships with people who have been who have either been diagnosed with a chronic illness or a disability and have kind of been through the hospital and rehabilitation program and how like the concept of caregiver burden is there's so much writing about that in academia there's Mm -hmm. there are you know support groups for that but being a caregiver and still being a partner being a caregiver and not feeling like this has to be the worst thing that happens. You can still have a great life with your partner. You can still also date if you're single or if you're poly. There are all these things that are still open to you. But just getting away from this idea that illness or disability means no more sex, no more romance, because if you're in any sort of a caregiving relationship, you know, it's no that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing a little work so far on addressing that Mm -hmm. and we've been able to give talks at um a few different conferences uh both like medical and caregiving in nature and then also like sexuality focused ones so Mm -hmm. slowly but surely yeah Yeah. i know from listening to from being a huge fan of andrew gerza Mm -hmm. um how how stigmatized people who are disabled are um in, in that they just are not in any way seen as a sexual being and and how it's taboo to think of a disabled person you know having sex having a sexual relationship masturbating Mm -hmm. like all that types of stuff yeah it's just it's it's people don't want to think about it yeah and don't think about it and there are so many different ways to become disabled there are so many different parts of life where you can become disabled there's so many different disabilities and we tend to have very narrow assumptions about it which are not universally applicable and even when they are somewhat applicable we assume that that's a bad thing like there's this idea of like okay well you're caregiving isn't sexy so Mm -hmm. we can talk about how relationships don't have to be caregiving in nature and that makes it okay but no I like certainly uh less so now but certainly at the beginning of my relationship I was in a like a non-power wheelchair I needed my partner to push my wheelchair because I only had one arm and that just made me go around in circles Mm -hmm. like (laughs) he needed to wash my hair I couldn't do dishes I couldn't do laundry there were lots of things that I couldn't do yeah he was straight up caregiving for me yeah we were still in love yeah we still had like a sex life yeah and it all worked out okay because we're still together and it's okay that our relationship has had caregiving dynamics because there are concepts like interdependence where we don't need to be independent and we don't need to be dependent. We give each other things we take and that happens throughout the course of a relationship and a lifetime. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You, it can, yeah. It doesn't have to, yeah. <laughs> it's not just one way. It's and not it's, just and one. even when it is just one way, that's okay too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's not just black and white. and. Yeah. yeah. So why can't we have nuance in this aspect of sexuality when we have it in so many others? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like literally you could not apply one thing to one person and another person. Like you as really, you're saying, yeah. the spectrum of disability is just so wide mm-hmm. that it's impossible to, yeah, it's impossible yeah. to have a blanket statement for everyone. It's true. Yeah. And people are not, mostly not giving it the credence it needs in sexuality. Uh it was like Kristen Schultz. Uh, Kristen Schultz just yesterday or the day before posted something about how uh, they're working with a uh, uh, the supposed writer of this this like be all and end all like health and sexuality book. And at a certain point, after much 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 explanation, was like, oh yeah, I guess maybe we should include disability. <laughs> 
You think? I don't know. It's Ugh. weird. Like, it's these weird roadblocks that you come up against all the time in every single discipline. And even people who believe that sex and disability, like, that's important. People who are teachers or occupational therapists or who work in the rehab situation or the rehab milieu in any way, mm-hmm. then they come up against policies that are that keep them in line or mm-hmm. bosses that keep them away from doing that. And mm-hmm they eventually move away from seeing that. So there are very there there are very few like strong voices that are coming out about it. But yeah, it's and cool. I, and I feel yeah. like uh when it is talked about, a lot of times it's talked about as if it's novelty. Mm-hmm. As if it's novel. Like this isn't um, a thing that's been happening since there no. was sex and there was disability. Yeah, like it's like, oh, disabled people are having sex. Yeah. And we should be supporting them Mm -hmm. you know and it's like what (laughs) yeah yeah, there's sort of like every like nine months there's like articles that come out and then there are a couple that come out around that yeah like I what's helpful for people uh who aren't specifically related to aren't in those situations Mm -hmm. like what's important for people is to have like for me anyways how I feel like just representation Mm -hmm. in media and whatnot of disabled people in romantic settings and sexy settings yeah um and can you you think of a lot of those no i (laughs) mean no do you feel like that's an important thing i think representation is tremendously important i also feel like it's almost it happens almost never and when it does happen like in a in a media setting it's able-bodied actors which is a whole other discussion yeah, yeah like the glee yeah the glee kid yeah exactly the so there are very there are very few representations if at all and when they are or that terrible movie that came me, out me of the guy me that with was a- you me before you me against you i don't know i didn't oh. watch it but yeah I, I did read a lot of think pieces about it it was also a book before and, oh great and it's like <laughs> like a lot of when there is representation it's inspiration porn so it's idea yeah this it's idea fetish- of like, fetishization oh yeah. well you're such a good person because you're with this person or like oh isn't that uplifting and the truth is sometimes i am like a dick to my partner so- sometimes our you know our relationship and our sex life and all that is just kind of like meh what it's not inspirational it and it also doesn't need to be the best of the best and the most fascinating to be valuable because i would no. say if you look at just the general sex lives of able-bodied people and the general relationships <laughs> there's not, they're not like, a lot they're that's... fine it's not super inspirational <laughs> and it's the same for me plus a cane yes like yeah, yeah. exactly yeah yeah i i feel like a lot of stereotypes happen um i'm sure you have a lot of opinions on disability and dating mm-hmm. um just something that comes to I was talking to Stella um, Palakrova like mm-hmm. a while back about um, I believe she wrote like a master's thesis on uh, disabled women dating able bodied men mm-hmm. um, and the inverse um, of disabled men dating able bottled able bottled able bodied able bodied <laughs> I know what you're females. saying females yeah. um, and that how it was a kind of much more accepted for an able-bodied woman uh, because she is kind of seen as a caregiver traditionally. And there's, yeah, there's you definitely know, some of that. Do you find there are stereotypes that you come across as far as like talking about the intersections of disability? Um, yeah. Dating? I mean, I think it's sort of, for me, I can see that trope being true, although it would I don't know. There's ableism with everybody. And also there are a lot of people whose genders don't necessarily conform to that. And who also maybe in like same sex uh, or different than male, female sex relationships. Non-heteronormative. Exactly. Um, 
the ones for me are, and I come across this with matchmaking because I will, I will ask about disability, and often I'll ask about it in the context of like somebody really wanting somebody who will go out and do active things with them, right? And that tends to be their reasoning behind not wanting to date someone uh, in a chair, person. for example. Yeah, yeah, and is because they like the outdoors. Yes, yeah. but I also think Which that is, is often a convenient it's not that it's not necessarily also true but it's a really convenient way of getting out of that discussion because I almost like and I will be perfectly honest about this as a disabled matchmaker it's easier to bring up race than it is to bring up disability yeah because when you talk about disability people don't like there there are not a lot of think pieces about this there are not a lot of representations of uh able-bodied and uh, disabled relationships. Yeah. They don't have any framework for that and they have nothing but terrible representations of disabled yeah. people like we, yeah. and disabilities. Yeah. So like these crazy movies and whatnot. Yeah. It's harder to have these conversations in like the one hour, one and a half hour. So, and I also think the same way when I talk to people about dating a fat person, they like look across the, room, the table at me and think, oh, okay, I need to be mindful of what I say. Um, I think being a disabled person, people have that similar response of like, they know mm. I have a cane. They can see it. They, you know, like they maybe don't know how it happened or what's going on. Do you think that influences their response? Maybe slightly. I'm almost like I'm impressed when people are able to <laughs> to kind of like stick to their guns and then we get to have that conversation. Then you get to call them out or so- softly call them in. Yeah, because <laughs> that gives an opportunity for a discussion. Whereas if yes. they're like, oh, yeah, I'm sure that would probably be fine. You know, like I guess it's like case by case basis. Like- some people really mean that. And some people mean I really don't want to have this talk. And, you know, if you... If you match me with somebody disabled, well, I guess I'll deal with it then. Yeah, I guess I'll freak out then. (laughs) Yeah, and it is, it's hard to have these conversations, and that's, it's difficult, like, as a disabled person, as a fat person, whatever, but it's also just in general, these aren't fun conversations to have, but they are useful not only for matchmaking purposes, because Mm -hmm. the more open-minded they are, I can match, A, I can match them with people, with a wider selection of people, and B, I can match them with people who value open-mindedness. Yes. Because if they're close-minded and I'm like, I probably shouldn't match you with this person (laughs) then who is exactly your type and there's no differences that you would have a difficulty with, but they would have a difficulty with you. With you being ableist. (laughs) Yeah. And so there's there's that. And then... And body negative. Yeah. So (laughs) that that definitely comes up uh, a lot for me. But yeah, I think it is valuable to have these discussions, even if they are difficult Uncomfortable because they, they give people aside from the matchmaking stuff maybe a more open outlook on life mm-hmm. and even if it's just planting the seed and starting I also do uh, I didn't even talk about this I do uh, coaching uh, <laughs> around sexuality but also around dating and relationships and sometimes that'll include uh, stuff with with uh, matchmaking clients mm-hmm. that's a service we offer yeah. and these may be discussions that we have it's not the only kind of discussion we have but if people are saying you know the seed has been planted and they maybe want to talk more about it that's yeah. an opportunity for that hey the more we talk about uh things like that the better because normalization like yeah you know let's just make everybody let's just try to get everybody to a place of not feeling so scared about talking People about are so scared yes about everything and i mean this is like a show like this is great because talking about sex is yeah. really important yeah sex is another thing that yeah. people just have a lot of difficulty with and it's so much easier if you talk about it, but you have to get over the hump. Yeah, yeah. Just got to make yourself do it. Yeah. yeah. 
That said, we are just about at time. I realize we talked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we got a good amount covered, oh, yeah. I feel like, I for, so. for you know mm-hmm. what was put in front of us. <laughs> we got it's through some of it. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so Claire, can you tell us all about, okay, you said your, your matchmaking, your coaching, uh, radio you briefly mentioned, po- your new podcast, yes. <laughs> all this stuff. To give us all the links and okay. whatnot. So, so can- ClaireAH.com, that's my website where you'll find all all, all the things it. together, great. Um, including if you go to my contact page, my social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. Uh, it's Claire A H H H H H. There are five H's because Claire A H was taken everywhere else. Rude. Um, the matchmaking company I'm with is Friend of a Friend Matchmaking, which is Friend of a Friend Matchmaking dot com. Uh, my new podcast, which uh, is about intersectional dating, so. Dating and disability is one of them. Andrew Gerza was actually one of uh, my first guests. Mm-hmm. That is at a date with podcast.com mm-hmm. and you can find it on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, all those things. A date all with them. a date with because it's them. like a date with Andrew Gerza. Yeah, yeah. I wanted one of my first episodes was uh, a date with my husband, which was also really oh, fun. Oh God, I gotta go back and listen. It to was that. very oh, cute. Yes. Um, then Sex City Radio at sexcityradio.com. That's on uh, live every Tuesday from 11 p.m. to midnight on CIUT. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do I do? Yeah, you can find about my coaching on uh, my coaching page on mm-hmm. my website. Uh, tell me something good. Tell me something good. TMSGStories.com. It's Great. about every month um, at the Glad Day Bookshop in Toronto. Yep. About every month. Do I do other things? I'm sure I do. I'm sure you do as well. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, <laughs> sex, dating, disability. Oh, I'm on O School. I'm a yes. Okay, I'm a sex educator on O School. So I talk about that. I have like an, a weekly uh, Thursday 8 p.m. Slot. EST slot where I talk about dating. There's an Ask a Matchmaker thing that's recurring. I also talk about sex and disability. I talk about intentional monogamy. I talk about what to do after infidelity. I talk about fantasy fulfillment. So. Yes, love those topics. Yes, I'll have to have you back to talk about them. Please, I I, like I forget what I do half the time. There's a lot. I was just telling you, my outro is different every time because I just don't remember. I'm Aaron Pym. I do some stuff. Okay, yeah. What are the things I have to tell you guys about? So, if you want to see the Bedpost Stage Show, uh, come out to the Super Wonder Gallery the last Tuesday of every month at nine, or you can come out to our Social Capital Show. Uh, at the Social Capital Theatre at 8 p.m. the third Friday of every month. Um, If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, if you could please give a rating and review, that would be so great. If you're on YouTube and watching this for the first time, you know, you can subscribe for the channel. Yeah, also, hi. Hello. (laughs) Um, Subscribe. uh, All those types of things just do uh, go great lengths uh, to me and my business, uh, helping me expand and getting more people um, exposed to all my stuff. Um, I want to thank uh, the Sonar Podcasting Network. We've got a lot of other great podcasts on our network that you should go check out for sure. Uh, All our YouTube content, uh, we want to give a huge thanks to uh, Eggplant Media and uh, here everyone at the Pacific Junction Hotel. Um, My sponsors, comeasyouare.com and Lovecrafters. Go check out their uh, Etsy shop. Um, other than that, I want to give a huge thanks to you, Claire. Thank, Thank you, you so me. much. Uh, I'm so glad we finally got me to connect. Too. This me was too. so lovely. Um, and very lastly, uh, if you are listening to the podcast, there is original music by Stephanie Copeland, good friend of mine. Go check out all her music stuff. Um, and you can do that at stephcopelandmusic.com. Bye, everybody. Bye.